Romans chapter 13 is where we're going to be. Romans chapter 13, we're finally into a new chapter. We've been in Romans 12 for a while, and we've been in the book of Romans quite a while now, uh, since, of, I think, January of last year. So we're now moving along uh, a chapter a month, I guess, something like that, <laughs> a little further, um, or a little less than that. Uh, and we're looking tonight at the topic of God and government. Now, this is going to be a hot topic, right? God and government. And those two things get Americans particularly fired up, don't they? And uh, Romans 13, and we're going to be true to the text as we go down to, through it tonight. But if you have a question or you, you know, as always, I say, hey, you know, we're in a, a public forum here. And if you've got something burning on you and then you want to say something, you know, you raise your hand. We'll try to fit it in, get some questions going here with this. But I want to look at this text tonight and uh, just talk about what the Bible lays out for the Christian in his relationship to God as authority, but also as government uh, to authority. And let's begin reading in Romans 13, starting in verse 1. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be uh, uh, unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also of, for conscience sake. For uh, because of this, you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their due tax, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. And let's pray. Our Lord, again, we look at this passage of Scripture here before us, and we pray, Lord, we would interpret it correctly and help us to live as uh, believers ought to live, Lord, in this world that we know is not our, own, our permanent home. But, Lord, we live in various countries and uh, across the land, Lord. I think of that even here in our country, uh, how the interpretation of these verses here and the belief in authority and all of those things, Lord, pay really uh, help us to, to mind how we act, really, and how we interact. And Lord, I pray we'd be salt and light in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. God and government, right? Those two things. That's what's being talked about here. And it's talking about authority uh, that is both granted to human government and also authority. Uh, or I should say the submissive side of where man comes in, and particularly Christians. Keep in mind when Paul's writing this, he's writing in the context of a first century church. It's a fledgling church. It's still not accepted, you know, widespread. That wouldn't happen for a few more hundred years, really, where Christianity would be embraced by the masses as opposed to the other way around. And uh, I don't, can't say it was really true Christianity that was necessarily being embraced in a lot of that. But here, as Paul writes, he's writing in a world where there was hostility towards Christians. There were 
Christians that no doubt were wondering what is my sacred duty and what is my moral duty with even those over me, authority, particularly Rome in this case. And when you think about that, Paul also faced that. I mean, he faced it in the sense that um, his life revolved around living in the Roman Empire. He was a Roman citizen. He had the benefits of, the, of citizenship. He also had, and he didn't always exercise that right. You'll find that. But he also... Uh, was one that, remember, when he appealed to Caesar and he was put into the judicial system and he was conveyed along and it actually took a long time for all that to play out. And eventually, uh, a second time after he had been arrested for preaching, basically, he was put under arrest and he was tried at Rome and uh, history reveals to us he was beheaded uh, at the direction of Emperor Nero. And so that's how Paul left this world and yet, he writes these words that are here tonight under Holy Spirit inspiration. I think they're ever important. And I think it's important for Christians. And I realize the majority of us here are Americans. We've got a couple of Canadians, at least, and uh, maybe some dual citizens here and all that. But uh, I'm keeping in mind more the American context because uh, that's the one I'm most familiar with. But it's not far removed as far as governmenting authorities over us as far as Canada or the Western, what we call Western governments. Uh, we have a particular what we call republics, and they're constitutional republics. Uh, the representative governments that are, are basically set in motion over with a, with a document, right, a constitution, and that affords certain liberties and rights and responsibilities as well, I think. And we're going to talk about some of that and how government plays out. But keep in mind, the word for government here, it doesn't particularly lay out exactly what form of government is best, Okay. Ultimately, the, I would say this, the government or the vote that really counts is God's vote, okay? Because God is the one that can raise up rulers and put down rulers. He can raise up countries and put them down, and he can do that just, just like that. And history is full of that. And we have to keep that in mind as we look at it. Paul writes here, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. And that includes Christians, okay? That's every soul, all right? Every living being, and that's what he he refers to there uh, in that process. And by the way, uh, there are really only three things that are ordained of God or mentioned specifically in Scripture as ordained by God as institutions. And there's the, the home, all right, the family, that marriage, the basis of that. That's an institution God uh, ordains. But there's also the church. We know the church, but there's also the state, all right? Or government, and those three things are taught throughout Scripture. And we come to Romans chapter thirteen, and Paul kind of takes a a break here from how Christians ought to be living in light of our salvation. That's Romans twelve, right? All that, but then he turns it and says how we ought to be interacting with our government that's over us, and he looks at that. And first of all, if you want points to this, and I get this outline from Ray Pritchard as I've been going through his notes on Romans and others, but. He says this, there's no, point number one, the source of government, all right? The source of government. We know the source of government. It says, for there is no authority except from God. God is ultimately the source of government. Now, the question that kind of goes out on the table with that is, is God the source of bad government? Because there's a lot of bad government. And we just say this, that uh, the, as he, Paul writes, the authorities that exist are appointed by God. God allows for even bad government to come into being, and sometimes it's working his, I would say always, of course, working his purpose, 
But he does that, and sometimes he'll use tyrannical government even to come and uh, move a certain direction or move a whole nation out of the way. He did that prodding Israel, didn't he? He told them they would be taken captive. Now, he was not endorsing the sin of the Babylonians or the sin of the Assyrians before them, which was they were just very cruel people and almost without government. I mean, the Assyrians anyways, the Babylonians much more structured. But yet God used them, allowed them to come to power to rule over the Jews and to see that, to accomplish his purpose in doing that. So when Paul writes this, he's absolutely true as he would be. The Holy Spirit's penning it in, by his pen anyways, breathing it out through his pen. And keep in mind that, you know, not everything is uh, with God's stamp of approval, including democracy and republics okay and there's a slight difference there we're not in a pure democracy here we are in a representative government the people have a voice through a representative right uh, and that is how we exercise our opinions and all the, the legislation that goes on a pure democracy is a simply everybody has a vote okay directly and everything is said that way and that's not exactly how it works here some have, have said this that um uh, democracy actually it was I think it was Winston Churchill said this he said democracy is the worst form of government and until you consider other forms of government okay and in, in many ways he was right because there are other forms of government there are theocracies right where you have someone who is ordained uh, by a, the, the church or a state church and there are still theocracies or in, in the Muslim world that is the case an Islamic republic uh, that is a theocracy uh, where the clergy, so to speak, rule, okay? Uh, clerics, the kleros. And I don't think that's necessarily good either. The only theocracy that was ordained of God in Scripture, anyways, was Israel, as God was to be their leader, but yet he still appointed leadership, didn't he, underneath that. And they were to look to him. But they weren't to have kings, but then he allowed for it when they wanted a king. It didn't always help them, did it? But yet it worked out his purpose. Um, there are many other uh, examples there's of course di- dictatorships and then there's you know just uh, you know military governments and all kinds of different ways and we could look at that and that's not what this message is about to look at all the forms of human government other than to say if they exist they exist only because God has allowed it and God has placed it as a as a means and you can say this that even bad government often is better than no government at all and if you wonder about that, you look in the last uh, little bit, you, you look at the toppling of Saddam Hussein. I don't think anybody would argue that that man was a very evil man, did a lot. But when he, he it was interesting, even under the regime of Saddam Hussein, he allowed for Christians to exercise their privileges as Christians. And there were Christian churches in Iraq. There were uh, a population of Jews that were there since the Babylonian captivity. They had synagogues. They were working... Today, you don't have any of that because when he was removed, there was a tremendous vacuum and in the, all the, the things that went on with that, I'm not trying to solve that, by the way, either. Uh, you had groups like ISIS that popped up and all kinds of other groups and they all warred against each other and there was really no government is what it was. And so even bad government sometimes is much better than no government, okay? Just keep that in mind. Uh, and I, I get that more from history than from the scriptures directly. We just know this, that God ordains government, okay? It comes from his authority. And when we look at that, keep in mind, because sometimes, 
I've seen Christians, and I myself am bent this way sometimes. I, I will get rather agitated when I see somebody that I don't agree with politically, and I think, oh boy, if that person gets in, in authority, in a place of power, we're doomed. Well, you know, it is, they, that person would be there because that's what God has allowed, and we have to rest in that as Christians. Now, it doesn't mean you, you rest and do nothing, you don't vote, you don't you know, use your... Uh, I believe rights, especially here in the West and in America, we have many wonderful rights and privileges that aren't even afforded in many other places, and Christians need to exercise their rights within the confines of legal framework. They need to do that. And we'll talk about times when maybe that isn't necessary, or it, you shouldn't do that. Um, and a couple things here, just as I go down through it, you have human government is established by God, but secondly... Um, to rebel brings punishment, okay? And if you look at verse 2 here, and actually I put this Psalm 75 before, I didn't read it here, but Psalm 75 verses 6 and 7 says, For exaltation comes neither from the east nor from the west nor from the south, but God the judge, but God is judge, excuse me, he puts down one and he exalts another. And that verse right there just backs up what I've been saying is that ultimately it's God that he, you know, exercises that authority to put people in place of, in government. Um, he may do that through various means, many different ways, but he allows for that. And it is ultimately not somebody from the east or the west, even though some invading army from those directions or whatever may take over. Anyways, move on. To, to rebel brings punishment. And that um, is found there in Romans 13.2. Paul writes there, therefore, whoever resists authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Now, there is a provision here for resisting, and, and he goes on to explain some of that. But when we, let's say as Christians, and that's what he's writing here too primarily, they'd be Christians reading this. When you resist that which is ordained of God, it will indeed bring judgment. If we do so in disobedience to God in resisting, and I, sometimes that can be done, we do something that we shouldn't do as Christians, like fail to give unto Caesar what's Caesar's or things like that. And if you do that, you will bring judgment, okay? Um, sometimes right directly from the government, okay? That comes. Or it may also indeed come from God who says if you're going to be disobedient in an area and you're not doing it with you know in accordance to scripture all right you are definitely uh, you know going to have to be corrected or you stand to be corrected by God himself that kind of judgment but basically it's this if you're going to resist government you will have to face the consequences of that and there are times when resistance is necessary for the believer, as was in the first century. The, the Christians there uh, at times had to resist. And then we have to ask, well, how do you do that? And what does it look like? We'll get to that here in a moment. And um, I don't know why I jumped over that as well. Again, you think of the authority that is given. And by the way, the Greek word for authority, it, it means a right or a privilege. So someone in, a, in authority is actually under you know god's direction they may not recognize this but they've been given that right or privilege uh, by god even an unbelieving king or unbelieving president or someone who is, sits in representative uh, legislature somewhere or whatever 
um, you have that granted to them by God. They may not recognize it, but ultimately, theologically, that's where they're at. Now, those that do recognize that, I think it gives them an idea of how they ought to rule with that authority or practice that authority. They should do it in the guidelines that God has given, okay, which is found in Scripture. And I say that because I wish our, our leaders did that. <laughs> and, uh, and more of us as Christians in this day and age did that as well. <clears throat> you have the ministry of government. And he goes on to say this, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. And then he says this, For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. He says, do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. And there is a, a ministry of government here, and the ministry in particular, and it, come, it follows a little bit further on in the next verse here. He says, for he, that's referring to those in government, is God's minister to you for good. Now, again, it might, that doesn't mean they always are trying to work good. Sometimes greed drives decisions that government makes and others. But ultimately, if you want to have peace with the government, do what is good. All right? It's as simple as that. Now, that doesn't always play out for the Christian in the way we want. Remember, Nero was burning Christians alive, right, in animal skins and lighting them you know their bodies in his garden and he was doing horrendous things to them persecuting them and others as well and many were just not able to work in their trades and things like that because they were pushed out of those things that's a form of persecution there are many protections today in our modern forms of government to inhibit those kind of practices right for government overreach and those kind of things and that's a blessing that we we have and I'm thankful for. But ultimately, the government is, um, there's, there's sort of a ministry of the government. And it, it is this, that they are there to protect, <laughs> defend, to rule, to uh, even, as we gather from this, uh, keep evil away, right? And you think about some of the basic, you know, people that work in government from our local levels up. It is to keep people from taking your property, right? That is keep, you know, police officers are there, hopefully to keep the peace and to keep people from breaking into your house and those kind of things, right? Uh, that was the same in the ancient times as well. And I have uh, used these verses before in reference to like our, our police officers and talking about an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Uh, if you want to go and rob a bank and you use a, a gun or some deadly weapon there and you go in to do that and you meet a police officer out on the street as soon as you get out you are probably going to get shot and if you don't put it down you know and you say well that man took a life is he right in doing that that police officer and you say well no god has ordained his position to enact justice or avenge evil in that case and if that person is arrested, then he's brought before a, a judge in our governmental system. And, and if he gets put away or something like that, again, that's a form of government protection. That's one way. But again, there's, there's many different uh, ways that plays out. And it isn't always done correct because sinful man makes very poor choices sometimes, right? On both sides of things. Uh, 
oh boy, there's a lot here, uh, but I'll, I'll just keep going here and digging in. He goes on to say this, but if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. So they're, uh, you know, thinking of someone who is armed. In this case, they were Roman, uh, sent, you know, Roman soldiers and others that were used in civil authority, or at least enacting it at the basic level, and they had that authority from their government in that day. We have those same authorities in, um, that are given out as well. And I want to ask this question too. In America, um, put you on the spot, I guess. What is exactly our government, by the way? What is it? Like, you know, where is it vested, I should say? That might give you a better clue. We the people, yeah. So in many ways, although we do have a representative form of government, so we have officials that do that, but that is unique, and it's not only to America, but America is, is in many ways is, uh, you know, at the forefront of that, uh, that it is vested in the people and the interests of the people. Now, you can't just individually change everything. That has to come together. It's a very difficult process. You know, the Constitution adopted by three-quarters of the states, right? And then you had to have, or three, uh, two-thirds of the states, excuse me, and then it had to be, uh, ratified and then you know amendments and all the things that went into that but you think about those things um, our founders envisioned freedom that was the direction they really wanted vested in the people and not to have that freedom taken very easily and there's a lot of dialogue today like the u.s second amendment right an armed population uh, a well-armed militia right shall be maintained essentially is what that says and it shall not be infringed on and some say, well, what is the purpose of that? Is it for self-defense? Is it for hunting? Is it for this? If you read the founders, it was to keep government at bay by keeping it more afraid of the people than the people afraid of government. Very unique in the world. You know, not alone. There are other countries that are very similar. Um, and I, I would say that discussion continues to this day, and I'm not promoting that or taking it away, whatever. I'm just saying there was some real careful thought that went into that. And I think we've been, you know, benefiting, relatively speaking anyways, for over 200 years now with a, a fairly peaceful population uh, in the United States. And uh, because we have not had, you know, a government that has risen up to take control over things. And it would be very hard for it to do even today in that. Uh, and, and there are reasons for that. Anyways, that's a whole other discussion, but, and I won't delve too much into all the talk that goes on today with that. Not from the pulpit, anyways, I won't. Um, but I, I say this, there is a lot about ministry of government. Now, that's the way this country operates. It's a little different elsewhere, right? If you go to, uh, <clears throat> for instance, uh, uh, you know, another, we were in the country of Ukraine. We lived there for uh, several years I've lived in other nations as well, and I always try to abide by the laws of that land as well, okay? In other words, there are places that I can't own a gun, all right? Not easily, uh, or things like that. So you know what? As a Christian, you have to say, all right, am I going to, you know, is this make, I'm going to make a, I go against the government and do this, or am I going to do that? Okay, you know, those are the questions that we have to ask. When Paul walked the different, you know, through the different lands of the, uh, the early first century lands that were occupied by Rome. He did so under the, the auspices of Rome in many ways, their governing authority. Uh, he did so under their protection many times. And um, he did not always exercise his full rights as a citizen. Actually, 
when he's brought before proconsul. Remember, he didn't even tell them that he was a Roman citizen. They thought he was this, just this Jew. He was Jewish, but they just thought he was this Jew and didn't have Roman citizenship. And it actually got people in trouble, or could have, uh, if they had a... Uh, done some bad things to him uh, in, in that. But the, for expediency sake, he, he didn't throw that card out on the table and, and use that. Anyways, move on here. i got a lot to uh, think about. Uh, I'm thankful in my country here. I have the privilege of free speech. Uh, and that is a right. And again, it is a protected right. I'm thankful that, for instance, if someone comes to my house and says, uh, you know, knocks on my door, someone, you know, police officer, whatever, and says, I want to come in and look in your house, okay? I can say, no, not unless you have a warrant, you know? We have that. There are places in the world that it's not like that. Um, those are practices that our government has, but I believe that when a Christian comes to a point where, when do you say, do I disobey that? Well, if that person is doing something illegal against you, police officer says, I want to take a look anyways. I don't have a warrant. Well, you're now at that point doing something illegal. Uh, that person is, you know, and you're protected in that, in our form of government. But what happens if you're in a place where that is their right, you know? And I'm saying under authority. They can search whatever they want anytime. Well, as Christians, we ought to be living uh, such that we are examples and we aren't doing anything wrong. So if they want to look in your house or look in your car or look in your bag as you're traveling or whatever else, guess what? That is something. And again, there are times for the sake of keeping the peace that we don't exercise our full rights in that. Sometimes it's better just to say, hey, I'm not having, I don't have anything to hide. Take a look, you know, whatever. Um, but it, there, you have to be careful with that. All right. Uh, what else here? I have some ministry of government and also, uh, oh, this is the one I want. There's some other things that uh, part of what government does. Number one, to punish the wicked. And that's a primary obligation of government And in this, that uh, to exercise punishment. That's why we have laws and we aren't hopefully a country of just vigilantes, okay? Uh, vigilante justice doesn't always play out well, all right? It might happen quickly uh, sometimes. The mob hangs somebody or whatever else, but they might have got the wrong person, right? There are certain stops in place to do that in our own country here uh, also to reward the righteous and i like what he says here that he is god's servant right in verse four in uh, for he is god's minister to you for good and again if we do wrong he doesn't wield the sword in vain in that uh, and so keep the peace one of the things that came out of the early history was that eventually the Roman you know, Empire it was actually getting ready to dissolve in many ways, but it realized that Christians were some of their best citizens. They were the ones that were paying their taxes. They were the ones that were ready to go and to serve at a moment's notice and to do that. Uh, and they were generally regarded as honest people. And to be a Christian carried that idea with it. And so it began to take on a different role that way. Um, and again, a reward to the righteous in some ways. But many face the sword sometimes uh, in, in a bad way, in that way. The, the support of government. And uh, 
there are a number of ways that we are obligated to support government. Look at the next verse here, Romans 13, 5. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. And this is where we kind of get into some of the, uh, well, I'd say more hot topics, not always, but what does it mean to be in subject to government, you know? And how do we do that? Um, and I've thought this through many times. I've thought, well, what happens if there's government overreach? Or what happens if someone, you know, is exercising authority in a way they shouldn't? All right? You know, what is my obligation as a Christian? All right? It's different as an American Christian as it is for, I believe, someone who might be in another country. Because we have different forms of government in that. And again, where my government's vested in the people, we the people, and also, you know, this republic of ours and states and everything else that are ordained you know what uh i have to keep that in mind in every decision when that's made and ultimately i have to keep in mind also how that affects that person that i'm maybe trying to reach for christ all right uh and doing that how we should support government uh be in subjection where you can okay and there are times where you have to for conscience sake cannot do that but he says, but not only because of wrath. In other words, you, it shouldn't be just the fear of getting the speeding ticket that keeps you from speeding, but rather the idea that it's wrong to speed and go against the law. And, you know, you say, well, my conscience uh, isn't bothered by going five over or ten over or whatever else. You know, and I'm not going to argue with that. I go five over sometimes and do that. But I'll say this. It should be for the Christian that we want to obey because God is the one who wants obedience, not just government in that. And to keep that in mind continually for that. How we support the government. And that's verses 6 and 7. And he talks about um, uh, paying taxes in those things. He says, For because of this you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. And some have said, well, how much tax do we pay, right? Ah, there you go. When does it become a, uh, a reason to rebel? Oh, boy, won't even go there with that because uh, my country was founded in a tax revolution, essentially, right? At about 3.5%, by the way, was what the uh, early uh, colonies said is enough. And they said, King George, you're tyrannical, and we're now going to declare our independence in that uh, i'm not judging you know past history i we are what we are now and remember god ordains government he does that one way or the other he raises people up he puts people down in places of power but i can just say you know today we're arguing whether someone should pay 40 percent or you know more or less and they were arguing three and a half percent you know so amazing how far we've gone in that uh, in doing in doing different things, and I'm going to come to that because I have an illustration at the end that's very current about taxes in general, and especially just after everybody's filed their taxes, hopefully on April 15th, right, uh, or 17th this year. Um, we ought to be paying what is due, and again, he says here, render therefore to all their due taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs. Fear to whom fear, that's reverence to fear, for reverence, should be respectful in those things. And honor to whom honor. Um, and, and that's how the Christian ought to be operating, okay? 
looking for those, uh, those ways to do that. Uh, I think we ought to honor people, and uh, it's appropriate to do that. To sometimes go a little extra and do something for somebody. Uh, I, I am always thrilled to hear, you know, people that, uh, you know, a police officer goes into a restaurant or whatever and goes to pay his bill, and somebody's paid their bill, you know, or something like that. Or, you know, would you do that for somebody like that? I'm just saying, maybe not. Maybe you didn't like, you know, didn't like the guy, whatever. But those are kind of things that that go a long ways for a Christian to be able to honor somebody. That's just one example, you know. It might be somebody else or some other thing. Customs, oh boy. U.S. customs, Canadian customs. Yeah, you got to go back and forth. And you know what? Pay what's, what's due, okay? If they say, most often they don't give, make you pay. But sometimes you have to pay. And that's all part of doing it. Um, I think that Ray Stedman, he talked about it, when he was filing taxes, or he got very fed up with the amount of taxes that he had to pay. And so one year he wrote a check to the Infernal Revenue Service. And uh, so then he felt convicted of that. So next year he wrote it to the Eternal Revenue Service. And by the way, they kept cashing his checks too, so it didn't really matter. And uh, he, he said, finally, I came to the conclusion that, you know, it's my, that as a Christian, I ought to be paying my taxes. And if this is what I do. So now he does it cheerfully and he writes it out to the Internal Revenue Service. But, you know, I, I've often thought about writing it to the Infernal Re- Revenue Service, right? And doing that. Uh, and, and beware <laughs> of those things. There are five crucial questions that come out of this. And the first one is this, is how far can a Christian go in expressing opposition to an unjust government? It's a big one. How far could I go? Well, uh, you have to, to understand that I think the, the Scripture allows for us to go against government, but you will face the opposition of government. He may wield the sword, all right? doesn't do so in vain. And I think in America, I have all kinds of ways to oppose my government, right? Just in the, in the First Amendment. I mean, the First Amendment starts off the very first clause with the protection of religion, okay? And, and I did this a few years ago. I had uh, someone that was coming in from Canada. He was going to have a church service in a, a church that only operated six weeks out of the year. There was a summer group that was meeting around a lake, and this admissible Canadian came to the U.S. border, and he was turned away, basically. And they said, uh, you can't come in because you're taking a job. And, that, and I, I kindly got a hold of the port director and I, I said to him, I said, you know, by proxy, you're disenfranchising Americans of their First Amendment right because they're expecting that man to be down there in a couple hours. And, and he is, you know, leading a church service. And, and our constitution that you swore to uphold and protect says you're not to infringe on that. He says, well, we don't see it that way. And I knew he wouldn't. So I said, well, you know, I'm going to write a letter. And we did that. And we went. And you know what? I wrote a long letter. He wrote a long letter. And it, it caused a lot of grief for them, probably. But I petitioned my congressman, uh, both uh, senators. I petitioned uh, several uh, groups in the state of Maine. I did that. And we came to a resolution. All right? And I felt like it was all on good terms. We didn't yell at each other. Didn't get mad. I was very respectful of the whole process. But I pushed back. And that's my right as an American. 
Because, now, mind you, that Canadian that came was not in America yet. Until they enter, they aren't under the Constitution. But Americans are, that we're waiting for them, you know. And I kind of went at it that way, and I said, you know, that's important. Now, there are commerce laws and lots of laws out there on the books, and, you know, we have to try to obey those things. So, you know what, I came out of that. I always made sure that I dotted my T's and crossed the I's, or no, dotted the I's and crossed the T's to make sure that, uh, the next time someone was, you know, from that side of the border was coming over or whatever, that we made sure we met all the criteria legally so that nobody had to make those decisions, you know, other than in our favor and those kind of things and not to hide that, you know. Uh, and, and, but yet that comes. What happens if you came to a point where they said, you can't preach the gospel anymore? Hmm. Well, I think, again, currently, it would be my right, my privilege to be able to continue to do so i may face opposition to that but i would say that i would have to continue doing that um and that's a being disobedient to it i would say an unjust government at that point but it may not work out best for you in that uh in the here and now anyways but you can stand before god with a clear conscience and and know uh that you did your, what you were supposed to do based on what the scripture teaches what should Christians do if the government orders them to do something that conflicts with their faith? That's a big one. And it has played out time and time again in history. I think the Bible allows for lots of uh, opposition to unjust orders and those kind of things, and it's filled with that. If you think about, um, well, Acts 5.29 says it's better to obey God rather than man. Peter says that, right? And John. And... Ultimately, it's the highest authority is God's authority. And so where man's law conflicts with God's law in a clear way, I do think that it is the Christian's duty to oppose it. Not necessarily to be you know, vocal and try to cause a big stink about something, but just to oppose it and to make sure that you, for conscience sake and in obedience to the Lord, don't engage in those things. Uh, how about King Nebuchadnezzar and the rule that was, you know, the law that was passed that they had to bow down, right? Remember the Hebrew children? And they didn't. Did they face the consequences of government? Yeah. They faced a fiery furnace. Did God deliver them? Yeah, he did in that case. Other times people weren't delivered that way. They were delivered. Like I think of John the Baptist, right? He lost his head. And yet, what was he doing? He preached against immorality, all right? is what he did and ended up getting in trouble for that you have lots of instances in scripture that uh, show that uh, everywhere from you think about the how about the uh, the law that pharaoh came up with with uh, looked out saw the hebrew children and the families growing stronger than the egyptians and he said all right throw all the babies in the nile the male babies in the nile what would you do well we know what certain people did. Mother of Moses, right? She threw him in the Nile, but she put him in a she put him in a an ark, <laughs> a little basket, right? Uh, she somewhat. It's interesting because I thought obeyed the law, but I think that wasn't what Pharaoh wanted, right? I mean, he didn't want them in a basket. He wanted them dead. But God delivered Moses out, right? Drawing him right out of the Nile, putting him in Pharaoh's household. All those different things. So there you see times where disobedience came in. And how about Rahab uh, hiding the spies in the account in Joshua 
where she she hides and even lies to the people of Jericho, the men looking for the Israelite spies. And we say, oh, I don't know if that's right. Well, they, she did it, and she's honored for it in Hebrews chapter 11. So you, you see those different things that come up. Um, what about civil disobedience as it's known? Is it a Christian's, should a Christian do that? And again, I do think there's place for civil disobedience when government is either has put a law in place or exercising outside their authority to disobey. But again, to do so with the mindset that first and foremost, I'm a Christian, okay? In doing that, I can even love my enemies, okay? Uh, all those different things. A lot of that played out in our own history from our Civil War all the way through uh, think about the civil rights movement that took place and when you talk about abolition of slavery in the United States and also in Great Britain and other countries it was mostly Christians that were uh, particularly influential clergymen and others that were pressing that idea of abolition of slavery and we had this discussion not long ago at the nursing home believe it or not uh, there was a gentleman that helps there and we were talking we sang the hymn Amazing Grace, and shared a little bit about the story of John Newton, who was trading in slaves, okay, and was converted, and didn't leave the slave trading right away, but he was convicted over that, and he eventually left that, and he was an abolitionist after that. He he said it needs to be abolished, and we shared that, and there was a man there, uh, uh, an African-American man, and he said, I never knew that. He says, that's so cool. And I said, well, that's what Christianity does. It frees us. It, it, it shows that man has value as he has value no matter what the color of his skin is or where he comes from, all that. He, God counts him as a, a, a living soul, right? Someone that he loves. All those different things, right? So th- I think civil disobedience uh, is sometimes necessary. It is a Christian duty. And that could lead to a further discussion, what I won't even get into. What do you do if you ever were called to do armed conflict? Uh, and if you were, the legal provision was there for you to do that, would you be able to do that? Well, I'd leave that to conscience' sake. And I do think that there is provision for nations and groups of people within nations to do that. But I would not condone that right now or anything like that. It's clear for the record. You know what I'm saying? That would be sedition in that case. Um, ultimately, Micah 6, 8, right? To act justly, love mercy, to walk humbly with God. That's really what we should be doing, first and foremost. And if we did, we would be that salt and light that the Lord expects of us. And as a Christian, we're ambassadors of another land, aren't we? Our home is in heaven. Our citizenship is there. And Paul says that expressly right there in the book of Philippians, right? And so keep that in mind because you may have to give a little bit here and take a little bit on you sometimes. It's unjust to make sure someone else will see what Christ is really like and to head along that same path on that. Well, we've run out of time, but uh, for me anyways, but are there any questions on that or any thoughts or something I need to revisit? If not, there's a lot to think about. I'm not, like I said, I kind of went down through this in a, more of a teaching fashion. Uh, 
And we sometimes, I think, would do well just to, to keep to the Scriptures as best we can on these things. And it would bring probably a lot more peace with, uh, within our own countries and all of that. All right, let's end there. Lord, we thank you for your uh, goodness. And Lord, I'm mindful that we, we benefit greatly to live here in the United States and to be able to travel freely into Canada as well. And these areas, Lord, that we just take for granted that we have freedoms, we have a Bill of Rights, a Charter of Rights. And Lord, that we know that many of those rights were granted by uh, certainly as uh, many see it as a God-given right. We do ultimately know, Lord, as well, that you are the one that ordains government and you allow even bad government to rise up. Help us to be godly examples in the midst of the times that we're given and the times we live in. And that, Lord, we would please you first and foremost. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.